Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Amy. And this is the Girls in Marketing podcast. Every week, we release a new episode that you won't want to miss. Our guests are industry experts with amazing experiences, so you'll always come away with new nuggets of wisdom. From educational and inspiring episodes covering the latest in digital marketing, to casual and fun chats with the Girls in Marketing team, unpacking marketing myths and trends, we've got it all. Here at Girls in Marketing, we're all about empowering and supporting women to be the best marketers they can be through our online learning platform and community. Check out our resources and membership to get involved as we'd love to welcome you to our inner circle. Right, let's dive into an episode together. Hi and welcome back to the Girls in Marketing podcast. Today I'm joined by Hannah Anderson, Managing Director at Kyma Media and co-founder of Social Chain. Today we are going to be talking all things social media, creator economy, social media platforms that maybe have been a little bit forgotten. So if you're interested in any of those things, then definitely keep listening. Hi Hannah, it's lovely to have you with us today. Thank you. So I thought to start things off before we get into the nitty gritty detail of everything in your career, social media, it'd be really good for our listeners to explore a little bit of a background about how you really first got into social. So I know it's something that you've been involved in for a really, really long time and it kind of of started from a personal interest really, didn't it? Yeah, 100%. What actually sort of sparked that for you way back when you first got into social? You know what? I think I was just fascinated I think as as someone kind of growing up when I did um I was born in 1992 so you know when I was going through high school late high school and then Mm. in the sixth form was when these things like MySpace cropped up and then later on Facebook did um as I as I went into sixth form Mm -hmm. um and I think I was just like fascinated by this like new new like world and this new way of communicating and um yeah, I, I've just, it, it was around that time, maybe 2008, 2009, um, where everyone was just making Facebook pages mm. for the fun of it. <laughs> and like, it would be like, you know, it would just be like statements and people would like would like a, the Facebook page. And yep. I was like, I want to see how if I can have a go at that. So that my first ever Facebook page was called I Could Always Do With A Good Sandwich. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like just this like weird social media page where I just posted about the sandwiches that I'd had that day. Like photos and stuff? Yeah, just I just posted like, oh, I had a, you know, oh, I had a ham and cheese toast today. What did you have? And like, there'd be like three people coming in like, oh, I had a chicken and bacon. And like, <laughs> like I remember inviting everyone in my school and like the page. I even, like, I even logged on to my brother's Facebook page when he wasn't like in his bedroom. I went in and got went on his computer and invited everyone, everyone from me, from his, like, from his year. And people would be like, Hannah, will you stop inviting us to your sandwich page? Um, and yeah, that got like 2000 likes, but like, that was like the first thing for me that just like fascinated me and it got me like into it yeah. um and then yeah I, I I went to university actually I was planning to be a primary school teacher um f- since I was like five oh, wow. um but I couldn't like get away from this like I don't know this fascination and that was when Twitter kind of was bubbling mm. up and that's where I started my my Twitter pages um and again I you know, it was like this weird thing that like nobody else was doing. Yeah. But then there was like me in my like in my bedroom, like making Harry Potter memes and like building like hundreds of thousands of followers for the fun of it. Really? On like meme pages and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So my I had like Yeah. 
when was this like 2012 2013 was mm. was when I really took off on Twitter um and I had um, a page about Harry Potter which ended up by the time you know by by the time it got deleted by Twitter which is a whole other story but ended up on like 500,000 followers um no I had one called primary school probs which was about like primary school memories I feel like I definitely have seen that yeah it was it was a good time and that blew up that got about 100,000 followers in a week really yeah wow and that was like my first it's like, it's crazy isn't it because I am um, I often speak to, to the team to the team at Girls in Marketing about kind of social media and stuff like that. And I'm older than they are. I'm a 1993 baby. And so I remember the MySpace, the Facebook, like the emergence of all of these social media platforms that were just like so brand new. It was a completely different oh, way of like engaging with not only friends, but also, you know, the first time really of having that opportunity to, yeah, like pages and be involved in these sorts of communities really that were just not something that you'd ever had exposure no. to before. And there was so much opportunity there. Um, I remember like in all sorts of pages, yeah, like quotes from films and just like random stuff. And it'd be like, yeah, you'd share it with your friends and it'd just be like hilarious. Yeah. And looking back, it's just like, was it? But yeah. it, at the time it was just so new and so novel that I can kind of see how you like really got hooked with that yeah, and, was, and thought like was so how could I take this further 100% and there was never ever it was never a plan of like I want to get into social media because I know I can yeah. build a career out of it that was like never yeah. it was it was I'm doing this because there's like thousands of people laughing at my jokes on the other side of that screen and that felt good and yeah. that was like that was all it was like seeing the numbers tick up seeing the followers tick up like that was where the, the 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 you know the addiction really came from. It was like, oh, what how how can I make this bigger? Because yeah. it it makes me feel like, you know, I'm 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 funny or like that I understand people and, you know, it, 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 I always compare it in those early days to like it must be a very similar feeling to what like a comedian gets standing up mm -hmm. on stage and having yeah. thousands of people laugh at the jokes. Um, and that's like the same feeling that I got whenever I posted a, you know, a new thing on primary school problems, which, you know, it would be like something like, oh, when the teacher, um, told you the story of the kid who swung too far back on his chair, <laughs> cracked his head open and died. That and that got like, story. yeah, it got like 40,000 retweets and I was like 40,000 people think I'm funny. Yeah. And it's like, that's cool. That was I mean, what it was. Yeah. That was it's cool so thing. easy to see how that could get really addictive and, it's, well, as we know, social media really can be, kind of. But if you're behind one of those accounts that's really taken off, really doing well, like you say, yeah, people find you funny. You're like this comedian and you've gotten this validation from people that you 100%. don't even know. It's like, you know, that could quite quickly become something that you think, I don't know in what capacity, but I want more of this. Yeah, I don't want to give up on 100%. this. That's amazing. 100%. So then you went on to um, co-found Social Chain at 22. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. obviously I imagine that was quite a, a step up in your career and, you know, quite quickly it, you know, transformed into something that, you know, grew very quickly yeah. and, you know, I imagine quite a lot of responsibility and kind of stuff came came with that as the team grew and things like that. How did you find navigating that at the age of 22, having, like you said, kind of been thinking of going into teaching and having this route set out for yourself from such a young age how did how did you navigate that you know huge step change in what you then did with with social chain I think it's it's an interesting one because I never 
I never planned it. I never wanted it, really. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, mm. it was just something that I took a, took a risk on. Um, I had, you know, I, I graduated from uni. I was a, I'm, tech, I'm a qualified teacher, still am to this day. Like, that's never oh, wow. going to go yeah, away yeah. fully qualified mm-hmm. as a primary school teacher. Um, I had this path on one hand and this path of, like, the unknown on the other. And, mm. like, I, I just had to, like, see what I could, could get out of it. Um, and, you know, thank God. God, I did because yeah. I think I would have, you know, dropped out of teaching very, very quickly, as a, a lot of my like teacher friends have, because mm. the state of the education system is, again, for another day. But um, <laughs> yeah, took 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 this this like very like wild route that I did. We didn't know what it was going to, you know, what it was going to become. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of navigating it, I think like because it was never for me anyway. I think you know, you look at Stephen, you look at Dom, and it was very like much more they had a plan they wanted to you know build a business to become yeah. x y and z mm-hmm. i never had that i never i just wanted to do what i love doing every day and mm-hmm. like that was all that i you know i showed up to work and i wrote my tweets and i managed the campaigns in the early days anyways and it just was this kind of like natural evolution of like right well i've got a team member now well how do i how do I make them feel secure and supported and, and, you know, all of that good stuff. And luckily a lot of the stuff that I'd actually learned when trained to be a teacher kind of helps, like, you know. Yeah, like I can imagine that a, a, a class of 30 kids, mm. no, not really that different to, a, to, to 30 people in the team or, you know, yeah, in yeah. terms of how you treat people, you treat them with respect, you want to help them develop. And that's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I just never... I don't know, I just never like really like thought about it, like thought about, oh, how am I yeah. handling this? I just kind of took it day by day. And, and went with it. And yeah, went with it. Yeah. Like learned along the way, learned a lot, failed a lot. Yeah. Um, I think, to be honest, it's it's something that comes up quite a lot with people in our community that kind of either having a career path in mind, going to university and studying a particular thing and then falling into marketing after uni or just, you know, finding an interest in some area of marketing and going into it or starting a career in something and actually then deciding this isn't for me and then career changing into marketing. And, you know, I think it happens quite a lot, those untraditional routes into it. And I think you have just kind of got to give yourself to it and just see what happens with it. And I think looking too far ahead with anything for me is always a bit, it's a bit pointless and you've just got to kind of see where it goes. But I think it's interesting, obviously, that your interest and love for social media then did evolve into a career. How was that? Did you find that your your love for social media I mean I imagine it really did grow because obviously you're still doing it now so you know I, I think I know the answer to that but how did it sort of change you know your relationship with social media going from something that you did as like a personal thing that was just like a hobby and something that you found really fun to then obviously working in it like how did you find yeah. that change in working in social yeah. I still I still do like love it I'm still very fascinated with it mm. to, to this day I think something that I had to do was kind of set boundaries for myself because I think for anyone who works in social, mm. um, if your day-to-day job is social and then you go home and you relax by scrolling through Twitter or scrolling through TikTok, mm. that's like unhealthy. And, and especially in the early days, like there was no, there was no switching off. So it kind of like, kind of like dulled my relationship with it a little bit. And I have a very like, in interesting like path with social I kind of don't really touch it on a personal oh, really? sense now yeah, yeah that's interesting and I didn't like 
I, I do a little bit, but I don't like, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to like build a, you know, my personal Instagram, for example, mm-hmm. um, because I did that once and it didn't, it just, it wasn't good for me or my mental health, yeah. but I, I definitely like, I had to, I had to set boundaries and had to say like, you know, don't, you know, it's, it's tricky, tricky to describe. Like say for example, I can't put value on myself if a page does well or it doesn't do well because yeah. sometimes like the platforms, the algorithms will will say, no, you, that's not going to work anymore. And yeah. if you like attach your personal value to how many followers you can build or how well a page can do or whatever it is, yeah. then that's quite damaging. Mm-hmm. So I still have a love for social and I still have a, a fascination about it and I find it very um, simple to understand that makes sense like mm, I can yeah. like read it well and like the analytics and all that jazz yeah but um I definitely have to kind of separate myself from it a lot more than I did in those early days yeah I think that's so relatable as well I think for anyone working particularly in social but also working in marketing you know where you know things like social are, are potentially a part of your role I think finding that balance can be really tricky, especially when people are starting out in their careers. And it can be something that can, I think, lead to a bit of a burnout of I'm doing this all day and I'm not switching off from it at night because all I'm doing then is focusing on, you know, my own social media or just even even if you're not trying to build up your own social accounts, just being on even social media and consuming it, yeah. content all the time. It's actually so exhausting to then, you know, have to think about it from a strategic perspective and you know think about it from a work mentality and then I th- I find because I do it as well and I don't necessarily at the moment work directly in social but we do work in social as a team and even when I'm like not working and I'm consuming I find myself s- still thinking about things from a marketing perspective with that marketing head on and then I'm finding that like it's an evening and I'm not fully fully switching yeah, off and it's just it's... like I can't really turn to social for that anymore um so I totally get what you mean about that and I think it's just finding what what works for you what 100%. the right balance is and even if it's that you can kind of spend more time on a on a platform um personally that you don't really spend as much time on in a work capacity because yeah. that could help kind of you know, a, be a bit of a barrier. Like from from my perspective, like we don't really work all that much in Twitter. And so Twitter for me is quite a nice place to go to just, I mean, it can be quite toxic at times, but it's just a place to go to just like mindlessly yeah, scroll and, you know, see like recent updates and news and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So I think that helps yeah. me a bit. But you obviously at the moment, I like working at Kaima, you work uh, massively in the creator economy with loads of big names, big creators and stuff like that. What would you say you it's probably difficult to say, but what would you enjoy, what do you enjoy most about working with creators and kind of creating content with them for their socials and stuff? Like how, how have you found going from, you know, your own social media and stuff like, stuff like that to, yeah, like working with creators and stuff. What do you enjoy most about that? I think for, for me at the minute, I think the, the, the whole social space is veered towards creators. Mm. So, you know, one, there's more opportunity there. Two, it's, um, the the platforms want creators so Mm. at social chain you know going back two years when I was two years ago when I was there my job was to build the pages that social chain owned and build the brands that social chain owned Mm -hmm. now you know the social the social platforms they didn't really care like they they, you know they didn't really unless you are lad bible Mm -hmm. like they didn't they didn't like care too much about about us about like nurturing us as a, a as a media publisher and things like that yeah you flip to creators and like I think everyone can see at the minute 
the social space is the creator economy now. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so much opportunity there and the platforms care. The platforms want creators on mm. their platforms. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's, um, it's just like the, the, it is a bit of the word of the moment, the creator economy, but there is because that's where, that's where the attention is. That's where the attention of audiences are. Yeah. Um, and it's just so exciting to be a part of. You know, you see creators going beyond anything that we ever thought that they could be. You mm. know, you, even going back five years, would you think that, you know, one of the top drinks businesses in the world would be run <laughs> by two YouTubers? No. No, absolutely um, not. It's, 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 it is wild, I think, how, how that has changed so much and how, you know, social media and, and those platforms have shifted so much to focusing on, on creators and stuff. And then you're right, there is so much potential there. So I imagine that's, that is super rewarding. And you work with a really impressive roster of different creators across different channels and stuff like that and I guess how do you find finding what the right approach to social is with each of those individuals and what's right for them their message what they do you know the audiences that they have like how do you go about finding that right balance yeah um yeah so so for context for anyone listening um Kaim, one of Kaima's main services is what we call social syndication which is essentially where we help big creators um build on platforms that they don't necessarily have time for. So you might take a YouTuber, um, we would then help them build their Facebook presence, their mm-hmm. Snapchat Discover presence, everything like that. Um, and yeah, so we work with we work with about 50 on the syndication roster. So they're very, very different, loads of like different um, content styles. So just, just off the cuff, off the top of my head. So we work with KSI. So we mm-hmm. manage his Facebook page, his Snapchat Discover page. A lot of his content is like reaction content. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, we work with a creator called Softlight Underbelly, which mm-hmm. is a guy called Mark out in America who interviews a lot of people from um, disadvantaged, disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, a lot of people on Skid Row in LA, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic interviews with, you know, just really showcasing the different side of America. People whose voices don't always get amplified as much as they should be. Yeah, Fantastic. And then we have like Save and Grace podcast, which is GK Barry. And that is, again, on the total opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> like different, yeah. She's absolutely hilarious. But as you can see, totally, totally different, like different people, different views, different ways of creating content. Um, and that's the same for every single one of our 50 creators. And obviously we have a different strategy for every single one, but the underlying theory across social remains the same. Mm-hmm. And it's just applying that theory to those those people in those pages. So the, I'll use I'll use Facebook as an example. Mm-hmm. So take um take 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 Grace as an example. GK Barry, she has long form podcasts similar to this where she's just talking away, but it's bit more NS. Um <laughs> a bit fun. Yeah, not not safe for work. But um she puts the, the hour long version on the YouTube, yeah. right? Now you can't just lift and shift that onto Facebook because yeah. People on Facebook, if you imagine your average average everyday Facebook scroller, they're literally scrolling. You need to really catch their attention. If, yeah. if you put an hour long video up, it's got an intro. Hey guys, welcome to, um, you know, welcome to my podcast today. We've got this person on. Mm. We're going to be talking about this, this, this and this. Mm. Everyone on Facebook has gone. Mm. So what our team do is we sift through that one hour long podcast. We find the most engaging mm. aspects. Um we make it perfect for Facebook. So that is adding subtitles so that people scrolling without sound, 
you know, they can see what the first couple of seconds say. Yeah, and um, that's we super important. A hundred percent. Might add like a meme bar, which is something that you'll see on Facebook all the time, which is like a um, text at the start of a video on the top in like block, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, describing what's going on in the video. Or what I like to say is um, creating almost like a curiosity gap or, um, you know, posing a question in the audience's head that they can only answer by watching the video. So it's all those like little theories. Now we'll apply that similar theory to every single creator who we work with Mm -hmm. um, and and the videos that that they have. And, um, you know, Snapchat stuff is slightly different. So you have to have like thumbnails for things. So obviously you want to drive more clicks through to Mm -hmm. to watch something. So the strategies for everyone and, and the way that we edit the videos are different, but you know, humans at the end of the day are all wired very, very similar. So yeah. it's all just about cat- capturing their attention on the particular platforms that we're working yeah, on. Yeah, and using what you learn from just doing it as much as you do to apply it to everyone. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine you can get loads of clickable content from the likes of the Saving Grace podcast <laughs> and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. there's loads I imagine that you can can clip and put on Facebook and, and get watches for and things. But it's interesting that you mention um, Facebook and Snapchat and stuff because obviously in recent years, I mean, we were talking earlier about kind of the MySpace side of things and, and everything like that, where social kind of started. But now, obviously, we know TikTok is absolutely huge. And I know a lot of those creators are quite big on TikTok. But I think that, yeah, maybe Facebook and Snapchat are some of the platforms that I guess, I mean, personally, I don't really use Facebook quite as much as I used to as a consumer. Um, I'm personally as well not on Snapchat anymore either. But I know that they're still really big platforms. And obviously still have very active and engaged audiences. So what what's kind of your view on not focusing too much just on those, you know, big now platforms and making sure that you continue? Because obviously that's what you do at Chimera, isn't it? You know, focusing on the, the platforms that the creators don't maybe have as much time for that's maybe like the YouTubes and the TikToks and stuff. How important do you see that being for creators to ensure that they're doing? It's, it's massively important. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's, there's several reasons. So number one, the power is always in the platform's mm. hands. I mean, you look at TikTok at the minute in the US at the minute, there's a, you know, there's a story at the moment where they're potentially going to ban it. I know that happened a couple of, year, couple of years ago, I think it was when they were potentially going to ban it back then. But mm. that could happen. You know, that could happen. TikTok could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, or your account could get banned tomorrow on YouTube. You never know. You're living on rented ground as a creator on these yeah. platforms, unless you own your platform or you own, you know, your content. So podcasting is something where you own that because you can put a podcast on Apple, Spotify, you know, you could host it on your own website and it would, it would belong to you. Whereas a YouTube channel, you know, YouTube could turn that off any day. Mm -hmm. Facebook could turn that off. Like I've experienced, so the Twitter accounts that I was mentioning before, they Mm -hmm. no longer exist because in 2018, Twitter deleted them all. Um, you know, so we, you've yeah experienced firsthand yeah, exactly. that you can just go. 10, yeah. 10 million followers gone overnight, <gasps> gone, and they've never come back. Now, I might be able to get them back because the rules on Twitter have recently changed where you can apply to get them back, but gone overnight. Mm. Like so much of our business at the time was Twitter, at social chain was was Twitter. We were known for it, and it was gone overnight. And yeah. now creators have to treat their platforms like that because they can be gone overnight, mm-hmm. and the way that you can kind of mitigate that risk is by spreading yourself across different platforms. So if you're a YouTuber, you have an opportunity to, you know, earn revenue on YouTube, but Facebook pays, you know, good 
good money to a lot of creators. Um, you can still get massive views on that platform, mm -hmm. massive views, massive reach and, and revenue, um, mid-roll advertisement, all that good stuff. Um, is, is still there on Facebook. Um, and similarly for, you know, for, for Snapchat, if you can get a Discover show, um, which is a closed platform, but again, they're, they're offering relatively, you know, good RPMs on there. Mm -hmm. um, and also the Snapstar program for creators. Again, it's just an additional way to, to monetize. And I think, you know, I think I don't personally use Snapchat. I'm not in that, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't necessarily appeal to me. I don't yeah. feel like I need to use it. But yeah. if you're a creator and you're not looking at these other these other avenues, then you're one missing out on on revenue, two missing out on an on an audience that might, you know, that you might be able to tap into. Yeah. Um, and three, you are at risk. Um and anyone in any form of business or, you know, a creator should be doing everything in their power to mitigate that. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And, and you know, just from a marketing perspective in general, what you're saying about not owning the the platform and, and the risk of it just kind of disappearing at any given moment. It's what, you know, as marketers, we always kind of say, you know, don't rely too much on those channels that you don't own, you know, build your email lists, you know, work on your blog, work on your SEO and your website and that sort of content as well. Stuff that you own that you know can't be taken from you yeah. because the end of the day, even, even just, you know, focusing just on one social media platform, the second that that might disappear, that could be your whole marketing strategy yeah. just disappeared just your whole audience just gone so yeah it's so important but I think it's really interesting to hear from you how those channels can really work alongside some of the bigger ones that that creators are maybe more known on and you know maybe have more following on but yeah. actually supplementally it, it's it's all benefiting them 100%. and you know they can they can still make money from them and yeah. they can still have like really big audiences engaged audiences but you know not to just focus on those main channels yeah. even it, if you personally don't use them especially like tiktokers as well like you know the the monetization opportunities on tiktok are not there yet mm. so if yeah. you want to you know if you want to create content for a living, build your TikTok because the opportunities will come and, you know, there's brand partnerships and things. Yeah. But you can make some actual money on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. some actual so why money would you on, not? These, other, on yeah. these other platforms. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. And then from working with creators so much um, and obviously quite a, a broad range of different creators in, you know, different industries and that sort of stuff, I know that the the term influencer and the concept of creators being obviously it's not as new now as as it was but I still think that there can be some maybe preconceptions and you know kind of preconceived ideas about influencers and creators that you know people have what would you say are kind of maybe some of the most common ones um maybe about creators and influencers that you'd say you maybe don't necessarily agree with from you know having worked with them I think the the one that I totally disagree with is that like it's an easy job mm. um, or, you know, you just film 10 minutes and put it up on mm. on YouTube. Mm. No way. That's such a misconception. Like the job of a, of a creator is that of a, you know, it's a um, videographer, it's a video editor, it's a designer. It's also finance, HR it's everything, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, sales, you know, you're selling yourself, you're trying to get brand deals. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's like, what did I count there? Seven, seven mm. jobs in one for, for the majority of creators, especially those who are starting out. Now 
the creators that get to a certain point can hire businesses like Kaima. We don't only do content syndication where we can help mm-hmm. them with their, you know, their editing and all that good stuff um, and their social. But we we also um, can help them get brand deals, um, manage their inbox, all that, all that amazing stuff. But that gives the creator the time to actually go and focus on what they do best, which is creating. But yeah. Um, I think anyone could look at, again, to use KSI and Logan as an example, you know, ah, oh, they do now, like, they just, you know, they've just <laughs> uploaded videos and then they've got all this money coming in from all this. If you knew how much went into that, yeah. that wouldn't be a question that you, that you would ask. Not only are they creating, but they, they're running several businesses. Um, you know, KSI is part of the Sidemen as well, which is a whole other mm. thing. They have Sides, which is like a, um, a food delivery thing. They have Prime, obviously, with KSI and Logan. Um, you know, JJ has these Misfits boxing. Like, he is a entrepreneur um and I know for a fine fact that a lot of people will look at that and go oh you know it's just luck it's not luck when you look you know 15 years ago when he was starting out and he grinded every day without getting any money like that's it's not luck it's really really hard work yeah that's the thing isn't it because I I genuinely think that the the people who say you know oh it's luck and it's just you know they don't deserve it they've not earned it whatever like look back at these creators now who are really big where they started what they were doing you know the work they were putting in you know really kind of investing in these platforms before they were getting anything out of it yeah, you know just building up their content building up their craft working on what they do because they loved it and yeah I, I think that it is a, it's quite a naive thing to think that anyone who's successful as an influencer as a creator is is not working really really hard behind the scenes and you know although it may what we see look really glamorous and looks really easy and looks like oh I wish I could be doing that instead of sitting in an office actually behind the scenes there's so much more to it isn't there um but you said obviously about you know at Kaimeg you can support with other things you know getting brand partnerships and all that sort of stuff so for anyone listening who works kind of on the other side and works for for brands who maybe um you know work in influencer marketing or work in you know, any capacity where they would work with creators. What kind of advice would you give to to brands about harnessing that, you know, the, the power that can come with work and working with creators? You know, how would you advise that brands can go about getting the most out of those sorts yeah. of partnerships? I think um, I'll start by saying not, what not to do. Mm. Um, the, the worst examples where I've seen brands work with creators is where they give the creators no creative control. Mm. Um so do the opposite of that. Yeah. Give the creator creative control. Get that creator involved with the idea that mm-hmm. you have from the outset because that's where you're going to get the best ideas. Um, their crea- a creator knows their audience better than anyone in the world. Um, so if you want to get the best out of creators, have the creator involved from day dot in yeah. that idea, in what's going to be the best um, the best way to partner. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of kind of what I, what I would say is like my number one thing is is give the creator creative control. Um, don't push back. Don't don't push like crappy adverts because mm. that's you know people just zoom past. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, they're the main. Things. Yeah, and I imagine that any creators that you know that actually would add value to a brand the value yeah, that they're going to add is what they can bring as an individual, isn't it? It's not going to be, you know, oh, look, it's a famous face, but we'll just get them to be a robot and do what we want them to do because what's the point? Yeah. Like, you could have anyone do that. And I think people, consumers, are so much more savvy nowadays to what is a really authentic partnership, what feels natural, what, you know, I, I always find that the best kind of partnerships are the ones where you'll see someone's content and it's it's you don't immediately realise that it's even a partnership yeah. because it's, it's you 
know, it's someone that you really believe that this person would work with. It really fits their brand. It 100%. feels like their tone of voice. It's something that they'd say. It's not a, oh, someone's given them a script and this feels really yeah. completely off brand for them. Because it, it's never going to land with anyone. And I think that brands that hold that really tight control, like you say, they're just, they're wasting their money, yeah. I think. Um, and I think even not, you know, if you don't work in, in social, if you don't work with creators, if you don't work in marketing or whatever, I think that that's something that you can, you can just spot a mile off anyway, regardless. Absolutely. I think it's interesting as well how the, how it's kind of changed and developed over the past, like maybe like six, seven years. Mm. Um, and audiences are, are actually like, they're actually fine with, creators advertising yeah like you know I remember like six seven years ago if someone if someone put an advert in their YouTube video or, or brand partnership or what, what have you the audience would be like you're an absolute sellout you're this you're that I can't believe you would mm. advertise to us whereas because the market is massively matured all they care about is it like you said is it being an authentic partnership is something yeah. that they know that the creator would enjoy that mm -hmm. they know the creator would would like um and as long as it hits those those couple of things then they're like like yes get that bread like yeah. that's that's yeah. the that's the shift so i think like uh, authenticity is again it's a bit of a buzzword but i think you know just kind of strip it back to if the creator would actually um use this then it's probably going to be a good fit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for brands who are maybe starting out that's definitely a good a good place to start, isn't it? Um <laughs> Probably a difficult question to answer, but I'm really intrigued to know if, if you do have a favourite or maybe someone that you've really enjoyed working with specifically from like a creative perspective. Is there anyone that you've, you know, worked on particular campaigns with that have been, you know, really exciting and have just really kind of have got you so excited about working with them before that, you know, maybe stands out to you that you could, could share with us? I actually... I'm going to go with someone who I've got a really, really good relationship with so is um, Jeremy Lynch. So he's part of the okay. F2 Freestylers. He's now got a, I think he's got like, I don't know, like 17 million on TikTok or something. Yeah, but he's wow. been a creator for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason I like working with him is because he's very honest and mm -hmm. we have a very honest relationship. Um, you know, no, am I allowed to swear in here? Yeah. No bullshit. There we go. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like that's the type of person who I like working with. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like we are just incredibly honest with one another. If he doesn't want to do something or he has a, an opinion on something, then he tells me. And if I have one, he, I tell him. So yeah. I think that type of relationship is 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 the type that I really like with, mm. with people. Mm. Um but yeah, lo loads, loads of creators who I who I love working with and like loads who are um like I still get like excited when we like sign a new creator. Yeah, to that's amazing. Like, I can I, imagine that probably doesn't really go away. Does no, because it? it's because I'm just like a fan of their work. And like when we signed KSI, like that was an unbelievable day. Yeah. Um, we've got two in the pipeline at the minute who aren't signed, so I can't say who they are. But <gasps> like it is so exciting. That is exciting. Oh, I feel like I can't believe you dropped a tease like that and you can't tell us. Well, we'll keep a lookout look anyway. Out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but at, so at Kaima, um, I know when we've spoken before, you've kind of talked about how you approach social media management in a way that's maybe potentially a little bit different to the way that other social media agencies and stuff kind of would approach it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it kind of works for you guys at Kaima? Yeah, sure. So I'm very aware that... Um, 
one we're in, we're in a lucky position uh, Kaima to you know have a to have quite a, a large team mm. um but I know that there'll be a lot of social media managers out there who are one man bands who yeah. you know as a social media manager you are a copywriter you're a designer you're a video editor you're a marketer you're you know you're, you're everything mm. in, in one you're an, <laughs> an analyst um and at Kaima, we, you know, straight away when I joined, when I joined Kaima, it was a team of five and we had, we had, um, I think we had like one social media manager and God bless him. He was doing everything. He was like, he was editing the videos. He was sourcing the content. He was posting the content. He was analyzing the content. Mm-hmm. And straight away I was like, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's such a different skill. Social media management is a skill set in its own, separate to video editing, separate to design, oh, absolutely. separate to analysis. Yeah. Although analysis, analysis is probably the one that comes the closest, um, social analysis anyways. But um, I'm a massive believer in like a social media manager is someone who lives and breathes social, mm-hmm. understands it, understands humans are on a, on a, you know, on a very intricate level, understands how to make someone act. Like that's all we're doing at the end of the day is where we're, we are trying to get someone to do something, whether it's like a video, whether it's watch a video, whether it's comment, but mm-hmm. that's all, that's all we're trying to do is mm-hmm. get someone to act. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the job of a social media manager is to get that person on the other side of the screen to do what you want to do. Now, the mediums in which you do that through, the videos, the photos or what, whatever, it's your job to guide that, but you shouldn't have to be a video editor to be a social media manager. I can't edit videos. I can't you know, do design. <laughs> it's it's a like, whole separate skill, isn't it? A whole separate yeah. skill. So that's kind of how we approach it. And literally within the first like two months at Kaima, yeah. um, that's what I did. I separated out the social media team, the video team. And we've kept it the same ever since. We have social video, um, social media, thumbnail design, because um, that's the main thing that we need designing at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a wonderful senior al- analyst called Connor, who is just a genius. And he kind of strings across across the lot yeah um but yeah to to anyone to any social media manager who is also a video editor uh, everything um I feel you and um yeah I hope you're all right yeah oh honestly I mean it's amazing obviously like you say you're quite lucky at Kaima to be able to do that and it's amazing that you do and to have that infrastructure to be able to allow people to really like lean into those specific skills that they have and then bring them all together to create that end product that actually really works and you know everyone's doing exactly what they should be doing in terms of what their skill set is and you know unfortunately there are so so many businesses out there that just don't have that capacity and I think I think that the importance of social is it's becoming more acknowledged and I do think that more brands are starting to realise the importance of social media and quite how much goes into it. You know, like you say, you're doing, you know, maybe 10 different jobs all in one. Um, And I think that brands are getting better at acknowledging that and bringing on more people in some of those specific roles to support things. But equally, I think there's a long way to go before there really is kind of a true reflection within an organisation of all of those different people that actually add up to making what, you know what social media is and what yeah. it's all made up of what all the com- yeah. the we've, component parts we've are definitely come a long way yeah definitely like but you've got to think like the the industry has only been around uh, you know really for like 10 years mm. if that yeah. and and even for the first five we were still fighting you know f- fighting brands to be like I promise it's gonna do well <laughs> I promise it's gonna get like ROI I yeah. promise we're still in, we're still in that in that in that um still there with with a lot of like yeah. legacy brands who 
who have you who are unable to move as quickly. But yeah, I totally agree with there's there's still there's still a way to go. And I think I think we'll get there. I do think we'll get there. Um but but to all social media managers listening, like fight for that. Fight for, you know, if 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 whomever wants the best results, then they need, you know, the right people and the right skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, to do so absolutely yeah and I think that I see people kind of um talking about doing like training and social media and things like that but again it's it's what actually that training looks like is the training in the role of what a social media manager should be or is it a training that's a bit of everything because yeah. you know people acknowledge that you should be doing everything um but it's interesting what you say about kind of what stage we're at now um and we're still kind of in that growth phase of like really seeing the impact that social can have and stuff like that how do you as a final question before we finish how do you see what would you predict that kind of social media and the creator economy is going to look like in maybe the next five ten years what do you picture that to look like versus versus now so I'm that person who I have a I have a stance on this anytime I get asked what what you know what social will look like what what the creator economy will look like in five ten years I say I haven't got the (laughs) <laughs> I haven't got a clue because if you'd asked me that question five years ago, would I have told you anywhere near what, what we are here today? Yeah. No, I haven't got a clue. I mean, there's there's certain things that I think, you know, we need to take into account, like AI, I know is a big mm. thing at the minute. And yeah. I do, you know, I do think we would be naive to to kind of brush that kind of thing off. I think, um, you know, the capabilities are, are growing very, very fast there. So, that might be something we need to take into consideration but what that'll what that'll mean I don't know yeah. um similarly with the platforms like if you'd asked me five five years ago would TikTok win as it was called back then like was it musically mm-hmm. yeah I'd be like nah Absolutely I'd be not. like flashing a pan <laughs> like no way and then we're here a day mm-hmm. where it's massive and I spend more time on there than I would care to admit um <laughs> don't we all yeah <laughs> but that's that's the thing like I think um yeah, I'm very like not against making predictions, but I just think like yeah, anyone who says oh it's going to be like this in five years, you're wrong. Like yeah. you are hundred percent wrong. And if yeah. you're right, like fair play, go and put the lottery on. Uh, and, yeah, I like, was going to say you wouldn't. I think it's definitely something that you wouldn't put money on, would you? Nah. You'd never ever put any money on saying I know exactly what things are going to look like not because at all. things just change so much. Like even even individual platforms themselves, like the changes like they're so volatile like things are just honestly changing so quickly that as you know as marketers trying to keep up with it just day to day never mind five years it's really really hard so I don't blame you for not taking a stance on that to be fair (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on the podcast Hannah it's been so lovely to have you today Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Girls in Marketing podcast. We love hearing from you. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review to let us know your thoughts and make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button to be the first to hear when our new episodes release. Don't forget, if you want to get involved with Girls in Marketing, check out our membership to join our incredible community of marketers. Think marketing resources, courses, webinars, and more. Find out more on our website or drop us a message on any of our social channels at Girls in Marketing. That's all from us today. So have a wonderful week and we'll see you back here for another episode.